let us get ready to take our seats. I know the fellowship has been good. Praise the Lord for uh, a representation of new life. Char and Rochelle, I've gotten to know you over the past year. Family, welcome. I haven't met you yet. Uh, my name is Pastor Lance. I'm one of the pastors here at Newbury Church. Um, so good to see you today. Uh, may the Lord keep you. May the Lord remind you of his greatness, of his glory, and his power and might. Uh, may I put a personal plug for uh, the book of Jude and the book of Romans at the end. There's a doxology, and it just says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, not based on you, Shar or Rochelle, but according to my gospel, to the word. So this journey is going to be upheld by the word, not you. Things are going to be difficult at times, confusing, scary even, dare I say, yep, saints. But the word keeps us. It is the Lord who keeps us when we can't keep ourselves. And so, praise God for you and, and welcome, sis. And sis, yes. So, um, my task this morning is to close out a summer of songs. As school has begun and we're going to close out this summer of Psalms uh, in Psalm 139. So good morning once again. My name is Pastor Lance. I'm one of the pastors here at Newbury Church. We are glad to have uh, friends and family and, and visitors uh, because life is always a good thing to celebrate. And so we're going to close out this morning. And I just want to remind us that as we have gone through several Psalms and if you uh, have been on this journey with us. You know, we went down to Psalm 1, Psalm 4, up to Psalm 139, I believe, with me. Uh, and you see the wide range of human emotion. I think the world is on a, on a uh, journey where it's all about mental health and, and addressing mental health and not shoving things down with being open and vulnerable. And, and may I say it here first, like, the Lord has always wanted to meet us in the depths of our soul, to see our vulnerability and to offer us life in the midst of our vulnerability. And so be encouraged this morning if you are on a mental health journey and, and on a journey yourself that God's word can speak to that. Ask Moses, ask David. Ask the sons of Korah, ask Asaph, ask the choir director, ask the choirs in all 150 psalms. They speak to the heart of human existence. And so this morning, I want to read Psalm 139 in its entirety and preach from this text. So if you'd please stand. And I'll be reading from the CSB. Psalm 139 in its entirety. It's about 24 verses, 24 verses, but we'll, we'll read it this morning. Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. And I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sums is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. Who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Let's pray. Father, you see us. You know us. You've known us from eternity past. And you see all of the things that consume us, that worry us, that make us joyful, that make us proud. You see the sin in us. And yet you still offer yourself to us. Father, I'm grateful that each and every one of these men and women and children who are standing before me are wonderfully and fearfully made in your image. May we see your beauty, May we see your perfect love in this text, and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The human relationship with intimacy can be a double-edged sword. Intimacy with God, intimacy with others, and dare I say, intimacy with self can be the most difficult task of all. A deep, sincere knowledge of self can be hard to come by due to trauma, pride, or simply not having the tools to know yourself. But while on one hand, we want to have intimacy as we were created to be in intimate relationships, on the other hand, 
When sin enters the picture, it distorts intimacy. Sin took what was pure and defiled it. So now intimacy can be overwritten with shame, with guilt, with anger, with jealousy, with fear. So Adam and Eve, when they were created, had intimacy with God, had intimacy with one another. They were naked and unashamed. Enter sin. They were still naked, but now they were covering themselves up with fig leaves. See, on this side of heaven, prior to Jesus bringing this world to an appropriate end, all things are not new yet. True intimacy can be hard to come by. But new breed, friends, visitors, I want to tell you that while you and I may not have, may not have all the tools for pure and perfect intimacy, God is still a God without flaw or error. Just because we're not right doesn't mean that he's still not great. God is still a God who is perfect in every which way, even in the area of intimacy. I submit to you this morning that Psalm 139 is more than the Lord being the first person to know about your gender reveal. Psalm 139 is more than just the Lord telling you how omniscient he is. But Psalm 139 invites us to see that our God, our Lord, models for us immaculate intimacy. The title of my sermon this morning, Immaculate Intimacy. The Lord's intimate knowledge of us should cause us to invite him to search us and to champion us. The Lord's intimate knowledge of us should cause us to invite him to search us and to champion us. My first point this morning, the Lord knows everything about you, period. The Lord knows everything about you, period. Verses 1 through 6, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. In these opening verses, David establishes that God has a deep and omniscient, that means he knows everything, he's all-knowing. David establishes that God has a deep and omniscient knowledge of David's life. Essentially, the Lord is aware of David's every move. The Lord is more than just a bodyguard, knowing when his subject wakes and goes to sleep. The Lord is more than just a well-trained therapist with David's thoughts and more than just a friend who can finish David's sentences. But this knowledge of David by the Lord causes David to invite, to Lord, invite the Lord to search him more, to know him more, and to reveal more. There is a concept in therapy where the therapist helps you process what they call the story you tell yourself. Maybe you've heard about it. The story you tell yourself. And I'm just going to sum it up real quick. 
The story you tell yourself is this. If something happened to you, you're describing the thing that happened to you in a way that makes sense to you. It may not even be all the way accurate or true or that helpful, but it's the story that you tell yourself. Things can be weighty. They can call a great deal of emotion. But it's a story we tell ourselves. Here, King David is asking God to search him. And later he asks God to see if there be any offensive way in him. So what I'm trying to say is, while I might have a story that I'm trying to tell myself, David is reminding me that I can ask God to help me tell his story in my life. Let me encourage you this morning. While this passage brings us face to face with the omniscience of the Lord, I think there are things that draw out the impact of how we live and worship God. The Lord knows our patterns of sin. The Lord knows when we plot mischief. The Lord knows when we are grieved to the point of being sleepless. I've been there. The Lord knows when words, the words we say and the words we want to say. The Lord knows where all the hairs grow on you as well as the stuff that you say that can raise hairs. The Lord has intimate knowledge of all of our doing. But this knowledge of our doings brings forth his provision his, and his protection. Look at verse 5. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. Now, personally, I kind of like the way the ESV reads. You, you hem me in in the front and in the back. And so I kind of like that, but I'm going to just stick with the CSB. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. And that's significant because, brothers and sisters, let me stop here and say this. We have to consider how the Lord's intimate knowledge shows up in our day-to-day life with the Lord himself. Scholars note that um, the emphasis here is on the word you. Meaning David emphasizes the Lord is the one who encircles him and lays his hand on David with all of that intimate knowledge that he has about David. Church, this calls to mind the story of Hosea and Gomer in the Old Testament, which is really the story of God and Israel. On one hand, you have a faithful covenant keeper. On the other hand, you have an adulterous wanderer. Hosea 2, 2 through 7 This is after Gomer's continuous adultery. But this is what the Lord has to say to Hosea as we keep that concept of encircle me and hemming him in, David in. This is what the Lord says to Hosea. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the promiscuous look from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and expose her as she was on the day of her birth. I will make her like a desert and like a parched land, and I will let her die of thirst. I will have no compassion on her children because they are the children of promiscuity. Yes, their mother is promiscuous. She conceived them and acted shamefully, for she thought, I will follow my lovers, the men who give me my food and water, my wool and flax, my oil and drink. Therefore, 
this is what I will do. This is what the Lord is saying. This is what I will. This is what the Lord will do. I will block her with thorns. I will enclose her with a wall so that she cannot find her path. Path. She will pursue her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will think, I will go back to my former husband, for then it was better for me than now. Church, there it is. The Lord sees everything we most desire and how beautiful it is that he encircles us so that we, by God's grace and provision, can't get to the worst part of us. Church, it wasn't just that the Lord had knowledge of Gomer's sin patterns. It wasn't just that the Lord was displeased with Gomer's adultery. Church, it, was, it wasn't just that she was due for a punishment and judgment. But in the Lord's covenant faithfulness, he sees Gomer in all of her sin and promises to be faithful and not allow her lovers to catch her, to be with her. Verse 7 reminds us, despite everything in her life, he knows that she's up to, and he knows about her up to this point, the Lord still shows up. Aren't you glad that God can meet you at your worst, enjoying your worst sin, and still show up as his best? He can meet us at our worst and still show up as his best, and I may even say offer his best. Not based on you, but based on him. So, good thing the Lord doesn't do the whole three strikes and you're out thing. But my Lord says in Isaiah, my bruises and my stripes bring you in relationship with me. Right? My conviction, friends, is that the Lord has infinite wisdom. His loving wisdom and his infinite knowledge. His knowledge of us does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Gomer couldn't get right. She was still going to pursue the things she wanted to pursue. David, on many occasions, still wants to pursue the things that he wants to pursue, right? The Lord knows us so well that he knows where we need to be brought back a little. He knows how much rope to give us. To take it a cut further, he acts on his intimate knowledge of us for our good. If the Lord didn't hem some of us in, we would be reckless. We would be reckless. But it's not lost on me that some of you are sitting here today saying, well, pastor, if the Lord knows all the things in my life, if the Lord knows my lying down, my standing up, my motives, and all that stuff, then why doesn't he, like, prevent stuff more from happening, right? Why does he still allow this stuff? I don't feel hemmed in. I don't feel in circle. I don't feel the Lord's hand, but yet he knows all of these things. Brothers and sisters, I dare not answer the depths of your heart questions, your heart and hard questions. I can say, but what I can say is this, the story is not over. And his intimate knowledge of you is not in vain. The Lord is in love. The Lord in his love and in his wisdom keeps us from going off the deep end. 
The Lord places his hand on us, the scripture says. Friends, I can't tell you what the Lord's hand is going to do in the next few moments or the next few years. But I can tell you that his hand is filled with wisdom, with power, and with love. You may not able to... You may not be able to feel what he's doing, but we trust that it is for our good. David ends this first section with an admission that such knowledge of the Lord's omnipotence is too wonderful for him. It's too high for him that he cannot attain it. Sometimes the Lord's knowledge and working of and in our lives transcends what we can comprehend. David even says that, like, look, I know you know everything about me, and it's it's just mind-blowing, right? It's just mind-blowing. This is not a cop-out, but a biblical reality, right? Job questioned God when he was going through hard times. In Job 38, 2 through 4, who is this who, and this is God's response, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Where, you, where were you when I established the earth? God is like, Job, man, like, you don't know what I know. Like, you haven't been around for eternity. Like, I know these things. Like, I know what I'm doing. And for 40 straight verses after that, the Lord reminds Job that the Lord knows what he's doing. And Job is out of his depth when questioning the wisdom and sovereignty of the Lord in that moment. So what's the response to the Lord knowing everything about us. I like how Psalm 131 puts it, verse 1. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. It is a posture of humility that the Lord sees everything about us. Everything about us. Paul recounts in the Old Testament He's quoting the prophets in Romans 11. Paul is in Romans 11, and he's quoting the prophets. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? From, for from him and through him and to him all things to him be glory forever. Amen. It's, it's bigger than we can quite comprehend, right? Now, I can sit here and I can tell you about my favorite sports athlete through documentaries and books and, and movies and Wikipedia, but the Lord's knowledge of me and us and his people is even greater than any data machine could put out, right? The Lord knows our day-to-day, our moment-to-moment, our deepest thoughts, our unformed thoughts, And as a point of application here, the next time you kneel and pray, because I know that, I'm going to be honest, I know that sometimes when I go to pray in a difficult season or a season in general, I can hold back in my prayers. I don't want to let all the things go in prayer, even though it's like kind of weird, like, Lord, you already know it, right? But I'm a little ashamed. I feel some conviction and guilt, right? But let me challenge us today. The next time we kneel and pray or shed tears over God's word, there's a temptation not to pray as authentically as we could. Not not that I'm saying you need to pray perfectly and have all the things about prayer down to a T, but I mean authentically. Like you are are just pouring your guts out to the Lord. 
That's what I'm getting at. There's a temptation to kind of hold back. But maybe we should just lay it all out before his Lord. Lay out all of the glories and the grievances. Remember that the fall causes us to want to hide, right? The fall causes us to want to use those fig leaves, even in prayer, and say, I'm going to say this, but I'm, there's more layers to this story that I'm telling myself, right? The fall causes us to want to hide. Use those fig leaves, right? But let's be transparent with the Lord, as silly as that sounds, right? Maybe we feel like if we confess all the things to the Lord, he won't be as near. He won't like us as much. Things might feel awkward between us and the Lord. I don't think so. Remember this. The Lord's knowledge of us is deep, it's wide, and it's glorious. And I'm going to use a, a New Testament example here. Think about when Jesus, in, John, in the book of John, chapter 1, is calling his disciples. Enter Nathanael. This is John, chapter 1, verses 47 to 49. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, this is Jesus talking back to Nathanael, right? Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, you say, well, why do you put that in the middle of this? Think if you were sitting somewhere. And scholars speculate that Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree, fig trees might, might have been a place for, for people to contemplate the things of life, right? Um, maybe your, your quiet place, right? Imagine the Lord showing up, Jesus showing up, and meeting you after you got up from that chair or that bench or that rock or wherever you were. And he said, I saw you. I saw you. He's like, wait, but you weren't even around. No, no, I saw you. I saw you. I think there's an intimacy there. It's not just that Jesus walked by earlier and just said, oh, I see that guy under there. Now, is that Nathaniel? Like, no, but I believe with my glorified imagination that Nathaniel was thinking about some stuff under that tree. I want to believe that. And I believe that Jesus knew everything he was thinking about in that moment, sitting under that tree. The Lord knows everything about you, period. So not only does the Lord know everything about you, the Lord is present through it all and in all the places life takes us. Verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold fast to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. Intimacy, for as we understand it, is more than just 
a head knowledge. It's more than just knowing facts about a person's life. If I were a pastor who just had a list of names and a church directory and knew your addresses and knew your kids' names and your birthdays and just kind of regurgitated that to you, hey, your name is this and you live there and you have this many kids and their birthdays are here, you'd be like, oh, that's cool, Pastor Lance knows that. But if I just left our relationship there at just knowing everything about you, that might be like, well, that's, he's a pastor, but I don't know if he's much of a shepherd, right? You know? But God j- just doesn't know, right? Because he, he knows all that stuff from the jump. But then he enters into the, into the life of the believer, right? If I was a pastor who just knew stuff but never showed up in your lives, you may suggest that our relationship is not as close as I thought it might be. So here in the next six verses, the Lord shows us that he not only knows David, but the Lord's presence is ever with David. David asks in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Not that David is trying to run, but I think a broader point is being made in this part of the poem. The Lord's intimacy is an intimacy that shows up no matter where we David takes us on a journey of his highs and his lows. We've had highs and lows. Of his nears and his fars. We've had some nears and fars maybe with the Lord. We felt that way. Even out to sea. Through the light and through the darkness. But for you and I, this is more than just an acknowledgement of the Lord's ability to be in various places with us. It's a point of hope that in this walk with the sovereign God of the universe, there will be times where we must know that bedroom tears aren't too weird for the Lord to speak to us. We must know that a week without our daily Bible reading isn't too strange for the Lord to move in us. We may be months deep in depression, grief, anxiety, or doubt, or fear, but that's no reason for the Lord to take a mental health day away from us. Know that the Lord is near. We may be telling ourselves the same old story of shame and guilt or whatever we tell us, whatever we tell ourselves. The Lord can show up in the middle of our shame and offer shalom. The Lord can show up in the middle of our shame and offer shalom. Verse 8, if I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. This word Sheol, the word, I guess you can say, you could say hell, right? The word hell in this text is from the Hebrew word Sheol. I got it in Hebrew and it says Sheol. I don't know that, but Sheol. Sheol. How does it go, Pastor? Sheol. I can't say it, but you get the point, guys. And um, it can mean like grave, pit, tomb. You know, so to make one's bed, bed there, obviously, would be uh, a euphemism for death and dying, right? Like, it's, it's not good. To make your bed in Sheol, in death, to make your bed in death, right? Um, so the psalmist is saying, as one commentator wrote, so the psalmist is saying, if I go to my grave, you are there. Think about that. If I go to my grave, you are there, all right? I think I'm supposed to preach here. So two things. 
Your lowest of your low is not too low for the Lord to lay his hand on you. And I got proof, it's coming. Even in your, even in your low, your low death, even in death, the grave, or a tomb, the Lord has already feeded death, the grave, and the tomb, right? Right? This is true in eternal terms, right? Death is no place we can escape God, but a place we enjoy with God for all of eternity, right? Not time, not space, nor distance, nor speed, nor height, not depth, not east, not west, not even the theories of Neil deGrasse Tyson, my man, not even my man, can separate us from the presence of the Lord. Not on vacation, not in the slums. I'm about to go hard here. So the next time somebody drives through my neighborhood west of 9th Street and says the Lord is not here, you look at them and say, you ain't read Psalm 139, bro. Friend, associate, colleague, I don't know, whoever they are, I don't care, family, brother, sister, I don't know, but like miss me with that the Lord ain't in the West End or in the inner city. Miss me with all that. I don't, miss me. Yeah. Tell them that he was with Peter after being scared out of his mind and got shook by a peasant lady, right? Tell them he was with Isaiah in the middle of being thrown in a pit for prophesying. Yeah, we've all been there. When we look at what we have to work with, at our circumstances, at our sin, you say, not much to, to show for here. Not much I can, I can move on. Not much I can work with. The Lord still shows up. Man, if we don't believe that deep inside somebody that the Lord, I believe that if the Lord gave us truth serum, we might say, this dude is too far gone. That dude is too far. That dude is too rich. That person is too poor. He or she is too. For all of our, and I'm going to put myself in this, for all of our, they are too. I want to bring back a God is. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God met Paul in the middle of sin on the way to death and made him into a preacher to the saints. God met Lazarus after death. That's right, after death, for three days and stinking, right? He met Lazarus after death and said, come on out, my dude, loose that man. What I'm trying to say is, the Lord, if I go to a graveyard around here, and I put my hand in the dirt, I'm going to come back up with dirt. When Jesus, when God, when the Holy Spirit, when the triune God of the universe reaches his hand into a grave, he pulls out a saint often, right? So, so what I'm trying to say is, as we think about this Psalm in 139, like, where can you go? Nowhere. No, he can reach into wherever you at, whatever you doing, however you doing it, and pull you out of that. And he said, I'm standing right here. I'm standing right here. I'm standing right here. If you're here today and you think you need to get right before God meets you where you are, I humbly challenge that thinking and say, the Lord is fully capable of giving you his full complement of attributes 
and can meet you in your emptiness. That's what's so great about this immaculate intimacy. He knows, God knows, you can't escape, you can't be forgotten, and you can't be overlooked because he is omniscient. He is, period. The Lord is omnipresent. Never, one commentator put about this passage, never has the pen of man more effectively described the omnipresence of God. Another quote is, no one is in mere distance any further or any nearer to God than any other person is. And so that can hit us two ways, right? One, it could hit us for us of like, man, like God is accessible, right? Like no matter where I'm at, if I'm struggling, we already talked about the Lord can reach into a grave and pull out a saint. But maybe if somebody else, if we pray for somebody else and don't think the Lord can move on their behalf, the Lord can reach into a grave and pull out a saint, right? So the Lord knows everything about us. The Lord is present through it all and in it all in all the places that life takes us. But we also see in Psalm 139, the Lord knows you in all seasons of you. The Lord knows you in all seasons of you. Verses 13 through 16. This is kind of like the, uh, the famous one. We all might know this one. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All the days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. I don't know about you, but there were times in my life where I asked God or even questioned God, like, why'd you make me this way? Like, like I, think I, I think maybe I've asked that. I've, I, who, I'm, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I've asked that. Um, if you're supposed to show off your glory, then how are you going to do that through me in this moment or this season of my life? Especially since I have this thing since childhood where I don't think I live up to everything that I'm supposed to, right? Quite bluntly put, you know, sometimes they're part of my personality. I'm like, Lord, how are you going to use this, right? Like, how are you going to use this? I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm matching up to what you need right now, right? How are you going to use this for your glory in the world? Y'all, if I'm not too careful, I can sit and think about all the stuff that the Lord should have made better in my story. I can think, ah, you, ah, if, if this was better, then I'd be better, then we would be better, then, you know, and I, and I can just play that story. I tell myself over and over again. But Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, reminds us that he knew what he was doing. He imagined me just the way he wanted, right? I got good news for us. Y'all the same way. He, he imagined you just the way you are right now. He fashioned those big ears and that nose and that voice and so forth and so on. Just the way he intended. I have nobody in mind, by the way. <laughs> I'm, you, just, you just brothers and sisters. I have nobody in mind. I don't know who's got what. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. All right. He knew what he was going to do 
with you in your mother's womb. Y'all know what I like to say. The Lord knows you, curl pattern and all. So if you want more curls, less frizz, more muscles, less this, more that, take it up with the Father, because I can't help you. He planned that stuff for you. But if you ask him, he's going to tell you that he made you on purpose. He made you the way you're supposed to be made. You're not a result of cosmic chaos, but you are at the heart and the character and the power and the wisdom and the love of a divine designer. He made you for him, not for you, right? He made you for him, not for you. Now, I joke about curl patterns and and personality, right? Because that's easy. But I'm serious when it comes to the parts of us where we loathe that God has made us this way. There's a scene in The Chosen with with little James, and um, I know there's some stuff around The Chosen, but I like it. (laughs) Eat the meat, spit the bones out, right? You know, I don't know if James looked like that. I don't know if Jesus looked like that, you know, but I get the point. So there's a scene at the end of a season, I forgot which one, maybe two or three, where Jesus is about to send the disciples out two by two to go preach and to go heal. And they get their orders of where to go. And James, in, in, in The Chosen, he's like little James, right? He's about yay high or so. And he's got a walking problem. He's got a stick. And he's not... Um, the picture of healing and grace and deliverance. Because the irony is, they're about to go in Jesus' name and heal people and deliver people. And so he's like, hey, Jesus, um, you sending me out, right? And he's like, yeah. Um, so I'm going to go heal people and do all this stuff for people, but I kind of look like this. He's like, yeah. Um, I didn't want to ask, but you've been healing all these people. Uh, you're going you gonna to do something with this leg or my back or something? He's like, no, I'm not. I could, but I'm not. And he's like, well, why? Like, naturally, well, why? You're going to have me go out here and do all this? And in the, in the show, Jesus looks at him because imagine the testimony of a man who can hardly stand, not in his own strength, but in God's strength, pro- pro- proclamating the power of God in other people's life that it wasn't about him the whole time. It's about a greater, it's about some, a him greater than him. It's about the one who sent him, right? And so I think we can all, maybe I can't speak for you, but I'm like, can you really use this? Like, is this how my personality is supposed to be? It's holding me back, Lord, but then I have to remember, like, the Lord made me this way. Don't miss Verse 14, right? Don't miss this. I've been remarkably and wondrously made. So in some translation, it's wonderfully and fearfully made. We kind of know it, right? We're not made in a warehouse for mass production here. So th- the, the picture is, 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 is this. We're not made like um, we got off the Amazon truck. Like it's the same package, same box. It's not like, uh, like you know, mass producing shoestrings or, or pants where like it's all knit the same, cut the same, boom. It's supposed to look all the same, right? Um, kind of mundane in that regard, right? But don't miss this. 
when God crafted us, when God crafted us, he was careful to craft us unique and awe-inspiring. Let me make it more plain. When he made you, your name, your name, your name, it was unique and awe-inspiring, right? Something grand and something miraculous that we all can kind of kind of think about is the birth of a new baby, right? That's in there. The birth of a new baby, right? There's something that that word that that awe-inspiring word there um wonderfully, right? Of like we've all seen the birth of a child, most of us. Uh We've seen it on TV or at a friend's house. Well, we just seen a baby. We just seen a baby, right? We got like 20 kids at Newbreed, probably maybe 50 kids at Newbreed. So we've all seen babies. And when you meet a baby, you're like, oh, like, 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 like there's a, there's a, an awe that comes about you. What if I told you, that's not my ESPN entry, but that's how God sees you. That, that, that's, the, that's the uniqueness and the awe that God made you with, right? That's how he made you. So, yeah, I got these little pinkies, right, <laughs> that only allows me to play second base and not quarterback. But, man, it's like, ah, oh. like God looks at me and says, oh, yeah, you my dude, Lance. I made you that way on purpose. And so I don't know your thing with your body or your, your, the way God made you, but he made you that way on purpose, yeah. right? Yeah. Like he made you that way. It's not a fluke. It's not a fluke. Yeah. You were wonderfully and fearfully made, made with distinction. You were made set apart. But because of sin and, and, and how sin distorts things, we can struggle with being wonderfully and fearfully made. We can struggle seeing it in other people, like, ah, this person, right? But the qualities um, that we loathe in ourselves, we have little control over. So I'm going to do my call and response thing. This is what black pastors do, as I understand it. We're all going to say verse 14 together here. Yeah, I'm going to do that. So I'm going to say it, and then you're going to say it, right? I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. And I know this very well. Okay, I just wanted to do that. But yeah, so maybe you don't come from good stock. Maybe your family didn't leave you in, uh, an inheritance. Maybe you don't have, ladies, you're supposed to have a dowry. Is that what that is? Uh, fellas, maybe you didn't inherit the family business, right? You didn't get that passed down from good old pops. And that's okay, because your days aren't a fluke, and you're not a mistake. But they were planned, as verse 16 tells us. Your life didn't just become precious because you remembered a little prayer and you can recite scripture. The precious nature of your life precedes you. Amen. That's the type of immaculate intimacy I'm getting at, friends. Like God knows us way better than we can ever imagine. David even says it. It's mind-blowing. It's too high. It's too wondrous. It's too great. All, you know? So with this information, let's tell other people who are hurting. We know people that are hurting. 
right? We ain't got to look far. People who feel insignificant, who feel cast aside, let's tell them that they're remarkably and wondrously made. And this is a universal truth. This isn't just for the person who's got it all together, right? This is a, this is a universal truth, right? Tell that person who's struggling, the girl who's crying in the corner and you don't know why, or the fellow who's just struggling, tell them they're wonderfully, wonderfully and fearfully made. And you can break it down for them, right, if you don't want to say it that way, by a God who knows everything about them and a God who's ever-present with them. So we talked about a God who knows us, period, a God who's with us through all seasons of life. And my last point is intimacy that sanctifies. Intimacy that sanctifies. Verses 17 to 24. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. So the final seven verses seem a little random, right? Of like, he's... he's David is like kind of giving God his props for knowing everything about him. And then David's like, yeah, and I don't like those dudes over there. Kill them. I want to kill them. You don't like me. They don't like you. I don't like them. Let's kill them. Kind of. Look, I found it a little random, too. But uh, so David takes the shift from being from the things being all about God and, and what God knows and his omniscience, you know, and omnipresence um, to the intimate reliability of God. But in light of Divine, God's divine attributes. David wants us to know how God thinks, to develop a godly worldview. The more David knows about God, it seems, the more he wants to know the thoughts of God. He wants to have God's influence on his life. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum. David continues to be in awe of the depth and inspiring nature of the Lord's thoughts. So maybe this is a word for us as believers, right? So like, it's not just that we know what the Bible says, but like we can pursue a deeper relationship, right, with God. I hope that makes sense. So David is not just like looking from afar and saying, all right, I see it, I'm out. But he's like, no, I want to, I want to be hurt for the things that you hurt for, Lord. I want to be upset at the things that you're upset, Lord. When I see injustice that you call injustice, may I find it to be injustice and to be outraged like you would be outraged, oh Lord. Where you see compassion needs to be had, may I see compassion needs to be had. Where you see truth needs to be spoken, may I see truth needs to be spoken. I should say it that way. And then he kind of finishes up by saying, if there be any grievous way in me, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. And so David isn't just thinking about like, okay, I want to know God 
enjoy God, which is important, right? Which is great. But he's like, man, I want the things of God to be the things that I exercise out here with my hands and feet, right? And on top of that, keep looking to see if there's still more jacked up stuff in me and fix it, right? And fix it. So it's kind of like, all right, I know who you are. I've asked you to search me. You've shown me who you are. I've asked you to search me. I want my thoughts to be like your thoughts. I want to be hurt and happy for the things that hurt you and that, that make you happy. I want to hate sin the way you hate sin. And on top of that, you know what? Just keep digging. Just, just, just stay there and keep looking to see if there's something else that I need to conform to your image, right? And I think that can be something we can walk away with of like, we can know God and enjoy God, but let's invite God to keep searching our hearts for what's not of him, for the things that he finds to be important. May they be important to us. I don't know if I've ever prayed that way, you know? Um, Shane, you challenged us on prayer a couple weeks ago, and you're right. Like, yeah, I don't know if I pray the way Scripture encourages me to pray for, for God's character to be lived out through his people. And so I'm, I'm backing Shane up here today of like, maybe we can pray that the things that are important to God can be the things that are important to us, right? I'm not saying go uh, ham like David wanted to go ham. That's not the application here for bloodthirsty men. I'm not, I'm not giving you that application. But I do think there can be a sense of like, man, how can um, I live out the law of God amongst people who are hurting and lost? How can I reflect the glory of God and introduce people to an all-knowing, all-inspiring, omnipresent, omnipotent God who sees them with immaculate intimacy? So if you're here today and you're like, man, um, that's great, Lance, but what you want me to do, to that, do with that? I want you to do this with that. Take Jesus. Take Jesus, because Jesus is the whole point. Jesus is the whole point. When you meet Jesus in the New Testament, he's talking to people. He's talking to Nathaniel and say, I saw you under the fig tree. He's talking to the woman at the well and said, hey, I know that you got a husband at home, but really you got five husbands. He's talking to people who are lame, who are sick, who are deaf, who are blind and said, man, I know you've been like this your entire life. But it's to the glory of God that it may be revealed in you. I'm going to heal you, right? And so we can find hope and healing in God's knowledge and wisdom and his provision in our life. Can our prayer be, Lord, help me think like you. Help me rejoice like you. Help me weep for the things you weep over. Help me see the beauty where you see the beauty. Help me loathe the things you loathe and help me worship where you call me to worship. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that although you have so much deep, sincere, intimate knowledge of us, you see us at our worst. You see us when we grieve. You see us when we are far from you. But as the psalmist says, you encircle me. You hem me in, in front and behind. Lord, you keep me from the worst parts of me. So I pray that you keep us from the worst parts of us and that you would show us 
how great you are in the midst of this life, Lord. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Lance, for that wonderful message. If after hearing this message,